Support for OPB comes from our members and from our sponsors, like Tracy Ray from the employment law firm of Baron Lehman. Tracy says that OPB sponsorship is a great way to support the community and connect with Baron Liebman's clients. From the Gert Boyle studio at OPB, this is Think Out Loud. I'm Dave Miller. Bill Mansfield passed the Oregon State Bar and began his legal career in 1953. The Medford resident just marked his 94th birthday, and while he describes himself as semi-retired, you would be hard-pressed to find a more active or engaged citizen. He is an elected member of the Rogue Valley Transportation District Board and serves on the Medford Planning Commission. He teaches a class at Southern Oregon University called Law and Things, How to Avoid Legal Problems, and he still dispenses legal advice for free. Bill Mansfield joins us now to talk about 70 years of legal work and civic activism. Welcome to Think Out Loud. Thank you. Thank you, David. You were born in Redmond in Central Oregon in 1929 at the very start of the Great Depression. I imagine that the Depression affected most every aspect of your childhood. It surely did. Uh, we lived in a little back uh, backward town, a little little village called Redmond, Oregon. It's bigger now. And uh, we were poor and everybody else was poor, but nobody had any problem with it because we didn't I didn't have enough perspective to understand that we were poor. <laughs> when you say so, so what did being poor mean then? It means that uh, I've estimated that our living standard, while we didn't ever starve or anything like that, or we were never homeless, my estimate is that we lived on about thirty-five percent of the standard of living that we now have. When did you start working? I started working, uh, well, actually, uh, when, I, when I finished law school and got admitted to the bar in 1953, I went off to the service. I had a military commitment that I was required to take to do, so that I, I guess my first job was being in, uh, in the United States Air Force for two years. I was. I guess I was wondering about if you had odd jobs uh, you know, well before that, when, in, in your teens, just to to help in the family. Yeah, I started mowing lawns for people uh, when I was about 12 years old. And when I was about, I don't know, 13 or something like that, I worked in a grocery store stocking shelves. And when I was about 15, I worked in a gas station pumping gas. Hmm. Do you mind telling the, the story that you mentioned, it was mentioned in a profile about you in the Oregon State Bar Bulletin a year or two ago, when you were on your first day as a temporary school janitor when you were 14 or 15. Yes, I, I was uh, the, the, uh, I was hired, I was one of the students and several of us were hired to do temporary janitor work because the janitor had been fired. And so I was uh, carrying a box of uh, refuse out to dump it in the garbage and I walked into this room and it, and it, uh, there were a bunch of papers in a file, and they'd started burning. And so I immediately rushed out, of course, and we got the fire department over there very quickly, and they put out the fire with very little damage. But a couple of days later, I was pulled out of a class, high school class, and taken down to City Hall and, and questioned by uh, an Oregon State uh, police officer. Captain Howard was his name. He said he was... Uh, head of the arson division, uh, questioning me was okay. That that went on for a while. I told him the whole story. Then, but then it went from questioning to grilling, 
and accusing and all kinds of things. It was very, I was 14 years old and it was very, very frightening to me to be grilled like that for two or three hours. I'm still very, still very angry about it. Angry enough to remember it well and remember the man's name, Captain Howard. What what effect did that have on you to be falsely accused of a serious crime? Well, it, it, uh, (laughs) I suppose it, helped me to understand how life goes, that life isn't perfect for any of us. Uh, But it also gave me a feeling about police officers and how important it was to protect citizens against the vagaries of individual police officers. Having said that, of course, I might tell you that I'm friends with a lot of them, and I've even served on the Medford Police Advisory Committee. But uh, I think police officers are somebody are the kind of people that we need to keep under our control. They are our servants, not our masters. Hmm. And there are all kinds of legal rules that keep them in check. And so this that's very important that we maintain that civilians are more are more powerful than police officers. You were 12 when Pearl Harbor was bombed. What are some of your memories from the war years? It was a warm Sunday afternoon. It it isn't usually very warm in December in Redmond, Oregon, but it was that day. And I was out walking. I was outside with my brother and sister. We were playing at something or other, and a a neighbor boy walked over and told us that uh, Pearl Harbor had just been bombed. And so, of course, we went immediately to the radio and listened to all of the information about it. It was very, very fearsome. Uh, the big the big concern in the city of Redmond was that the Japanese were going to bomb Redmond, which, of course, is kind of silly because nobody would bother to bomb a 1,500-person 15, a uh, uh, little village over in central Oregon. But that's what everybody was concerned about. And then, obviously, the U.S. entered the war. What did that mean? And, but you were still in your, at that point, mid-teens. How did it affect your daily life? Well, it affected our lives in that we couldn't get the kind of things that we wanted. We wanted to buy a new pair of Levi's, and they didn't have Levi's for sale. And it it didn't really uh, cut us down on food, but all kinds of things were rationed. Butter was rationed. Uh, beef was rationed. Uh, uh, milk wasn't. Uh, gasoline was rationed. I remember when I worked in the service station, we they had tickets for four gallons at a time. So, so I pumped four gallons at a time into people's cars. So, in other words, we were limited in the in the consumer goods that we could have. Although none of us suffered from it. You ended up going to the University of Oregon, and you were pre-med, at least to start. You were going to be a doctor. Uh, that obviously did not happen. You became a lawyer. So what happened? I got interested in, in uh, social science as opposed to the, as opposed to the sciences. I, I liked science. I liked, I liked chemistry and, and, and physics and uh, biology and all those things and did well in them. Uh, but... Uh, I decided I liked economics better, so I got interested in social science. And when I finished f- finished uh, college, I decided, well, I needed to get into uh, something that I can make a living at. And law sounded interesting, so I gave it a try and, and made it. <laughs> I didn't know whether I was going to make it or not. There were lots of flunkouts in those days, but I was fortunate enough to 
get clear through law school and graduate and be admitted to the bar. So, how did what what did what did law school mean then? You said there were a lot of flunk. I thought people who didn't make it. So, I mean, how many people say started? In the first year with you in law school, and how many graduated with you? In the class that started, there were 50. And uh, and the class that ended up, there were 11 or 12 of us, I think. Most of those had either flunked out or, or went on to some other law school because of grades. Wow. I read in that profile I mentioned in the Oregon State Bar Bulletin that um, one of your first jobs was working in the Oregon Attorney General's office where you were focused, among other things, on the, the legal issues surrounding the construction of I-5, Interstate 5. This was the beginning of the, the Eisenhower interstate highway system. What were the legal issues that you focused on in the DOJ? Well, I was a, I became – originally, I was a, a, an office attorney preparing a, a legal documents, but then I guess I graduated into becoming a trial attorney – uh, for the highway, I was a, I was an, an assistant attorney general, but I was assigned uh, to work for the uh, Oregon State Highway Commission. It was called then. It's now called uh, the Department of uh, Transportation, I think, Transportation Commission. Uh, my main job was to go out all over the state and uh, try uh, eminent domain cases, and mostly up and down Interstate 5. Uh, my blood is on lots of <laughs> – every time I go on Interstate 5, I think of some of my blood being on some of that right-of-way. Those cases huh. were d- difficult because the local people didn't like the highway coming through their place, and so the local people oftentimes really put it to us. The main issue, of course, was how much just compensation the landowner was to be paid for giving up part of his, his property for right-of-way. And the and it's, but it's fascinating the language you use. It seems pretty telling that when you travel on I five now, and it, it's it's right there. Obviously, uh, my guess is that most people listening to us now have have driven on or been driven on I five. You, you say that there's there's blood in your hands. Does that mean that that you feel some guilt about the role you played in this? This uh, this state act of taking over land, you know, f- with the purpose of the public good to to make a thoroughfare. No, I feel no guilt at all. I was simply a mechanic that uh, represented the state of Oregon in trying to contend uh, that that uh, that our suggested price was the proper price. The Oregon Constitution provides, of course, that people are entitled to just compensation and they're entitled to a jury trial, and my function was, was to represent the state in, uh, in, uh, in, in presenting the, the information about how, what, the, what the just compensation would, should be. And, of course, the individual landowner was represented by a private attorney, so we had a, a good old uh, jury trial each time. I, uh, there was, it was part of, uh, part of our American system of, uh, of uh, due process. I did. I felt no guilt whatsoever. I've always, I felt sorry sometimes that people uh, had to have part of their land taken. Uh, but but I was not. I didn't make those determinations. Engineers decide where decided where the highway was going to go. That makes sense as you're describing it. If you're just tuning in, I just want to remind folks we're talking right now with Bill Mansfield, who has practiced law in Oregon for more than seventy years. 
So that was one of your first jobs working for the state. And then you went, am I right, into, into private practice? No, I, I came to, uh, to Medford, Oregon from there and became Medford city attorney for three years. And thereupon, thereafter, I re- re- resigned from that job and became a private practitioner. I set up my own law practice, and I've been in that law practice ever since. Even though it's very diminished now, I'm not out looking for. I'm not out looking for business. I'm just kind of taking care of things as they come to me. Hmm. What kinds of legal issues did you focus on over the course of those many decades of private practice? I was a general practitioner. I did uh, contracts for people, land sale contracts, land transactions. I did some divorce. I didn't like it. I did some uh, uh, some uh, estate planning, uh, wills and trusts and those kinds of things. And... Uh, Sometimes I did some personal injury work, uh, uh, in persons that were injured due to the negligence of another party. I did, I did a lot of trial work in, on those kinds of cases. I was a general practitioner. Basically, I was a family practitioner. Whatever happened in the family, they uh, contacted me to take care of it. Hmm. You said you don't seek out work now, but the the implication, I suppose, is that sometimes work seeks you out. It, it, so people are still calling you up, your clients or would-be clients. Yeah, I, I, I take care of a few old clients that were good to me during my, I call them my starving years. When you, when you first start a law practice, nothing comes in. You're starving for a while. And I still have a lot of good feeling about them, and I take care of them when necessary. But I do get a lot of calls from people I don't even know who are asking about this, that, or the other thing, and I try to help them over the phone. I don't go into court for them anymore, even though I'm still licensed to do so because of my age. But uh, I do try to point them in the right direction by telling them what it's about and how to handle it and giving them advice. Sometimes I even give them appointments and we meet and I try to help them give advice on how to handle a case or how to handle a certain transaction. It's, it's, it's somewhat satisfying to know that, that, uh, that there is some help for people. The, one of the problems is that, uh, that hiring lawyers is, is a very uh, frustrating business because lawyers, the, the price that lawyers charge for their services is, is so high that most people, even middle-income middle people, can't afford to pay for it. I'm aware that in the criminal law, of course, people always get free, free defense, but I'm talking about civil cases now. On civil matters, there is no free lawyer, so, and a lot of people have to handle their own cases. So I, I sometimes help people kind of guide them through uh, their case and give them clues on how to handle it. And it's it's that sense of just this economic imbalance um, that that's why you do all of this now pro bono, all of it for free? Well, part of it is to help them, but part of it is to help me. One of the things that an old person needs to do is to stay young. And one of the ways to stay young is to help people. It's, 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 a, it's a selfish business as well as a selfless business. <laughs> I, the way you're describing it doesn't sound particularly selfish, even if uh, you're, uh, as you say, that being helpful for others can can also help you. Uh, it it does not this that does not seem selfish to me. Oh well, 
Okay. In any event, it's important for me to stay as active as I can. So that's one of the reasons I do it. The other reason is that I think, don't we all get a little bit of pleasure when we help someone? You also is, is it also fair to say that you would get bored if you weren't engaging your mind in this way, if you, if you didn't continue to do what, what you've done for seven decades? Oh, yes. I think it would be very debilitating to just sit at home and watch television all the time. I have a lady friend that lives across town from me, but she doesn't want me around her house all the time. I don't blame her. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, it, it, it occupies some of my time. That's, uh, that's another Another thing that it does for me personally, yeah. But as I mentioned in my, in, in my intro, there are other things that are keeping you very active civically, including this elected position on the Rogue Valley Transportation District Board. What does that work entail? It, 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 it mostly involves our, our policy issues. They, we have a superb staff who are much brighter than we board members are about how to run a transportation district. Uh, but they come to us and for for final decisions. We decide on budget matters and we decide basic policy matters. Uh, using the recommendations of the staff, of course, we hardly ever disagree with staff because they're so much smarter than we are. But but that's that's what we do. We we are the policy making board uh, for the Rogue Valley Transportation District. And as I mentioned, you're also a member of the Medford Planning Commission. How would you describe your political philosophy? Well, my my politics are liberal, mostly liberal, except financially, I'm very conservative, uh, and I believe in 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 the things that we're that that the Oregon legislature is trying to do now. I live in a very conservative area, so there's a lot of there are a lot of people that disagree. In fact, I'm probably a minority member of our of our system, but. Uh, I think it's important that both sides be heard, and that's what I, what I do sometimes. It's kind of fun being, uh, being out there alone. You're you're trying to lead, but everybody's everybody's in front of you. And <laughs> <laughs> I I, su- I suppose you're used to being a, a a lone voice at this point. Yeah, it's it's not embarrassing to be in the minority. I'm I'm in the minority, Sam. I, much of the time, I'm I'm with. Every, I'm with everybody else. We're all together. But on these issues that are important uh, philosophic issues, we differ. And it's, I think it's a very healthy thing. We have interesting uh, civilized debates and discussions. That's what's fun about it, is having these debates and discussions and differences of opinion. And the majority wins. And, some, and very often, I'm, I'm on the losing side. And that's not, that's not disturbing to me. It doesn't change my view any. It's a, it's part of it's part of life. To uh, uh, life is a is a debate, and 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 when we participate in it, we're the better for it. Even we don't always have to win. If you're just tuning in, we're talking right now with Bill Mansfield, who lives in Medford. He recently marked his 94th birthday. He is the longest active member of the Oregon State Bar. He passed the State Bar in 1953. Well, let's turn to some of the other things that make life worth living. You were involved at the the start of the Brit Music Festival in 1963. How did that come about? I was uh, in the city attorney's office and the city recorder, whose name I now forget, 
contacted me and knew that I was interested in classical music, and he said, we're, 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 some of us are getting together to try to put together a local music festival. Would you like to be involved, and particularly, would you like to prepare the corporate documents for this nonprofit? So, yes, I certainly would, But and I did prepare the corporate documents, but more importantly, I worked as a worker bee out there that summer cleaning up the grounds out at Jacksonville. The grounds had been ignored for many years and more more like a garbage dump. And so we we got our trucks and and lawnmowers and and, and we were we were we were not a boardroom board. We were a take our shirts off and work out in the heat kind of board cleaning up this area so that we could uh, put on a, 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 a an outdoor fest music festival. After that physical labor what was it like when the concerts started it was wonderful we it, in our home we we kept one of the players uh, uncle dave he was called the kids loved him he played <laughs> the, the viola and he came every year and we just loved having uncle dave come and we loved going to to the musical concerts my oldest son who was i think four or five five years old at the time it turned out to be a, a, a turned out to end ended up being a, a a very good piano a classical pianist pianist by the way with a degree in music but he we introduced him to music at that time and it took uh, he he has since told me how important uh, our inculcation of music and classical music into his mind was and we very much appreciate that so it was a wonderful, fun time, and it was a family time, and we just loved it. We loved, we loved August because August was the time for the classical music part of the Brit Festival. Hmm. You've done a ton professionally and civically, as we've just been talking about. What are you most proud of? Oh, I'm. I'm not. I don't think we need to be proud of anything. I'm. I'm just. I'm just pleased that I'm. Uh, as old as I am and healthy, and I've had a very fortunate life. I'm one of those fortunate people that that, that got the grace of, of heaven or something. Uh, I don't know why, but uh, I'm just pleased that the life has been so good to me. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't think it's any matter of pride. Uh, when I see the homeless people down the street, I know that for, they're for the great, but for the grace of God, go I. I could have been just one of them, so I'm just... I, I guess I'm one of the lucky ones. I wish everyone were as lucky. I wish our society were such that we could take better care of those people. What gives you joy these days? Gives me joy. Uh, well, my 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 family. My my I have, I have three sons, and uh, two of them live in Portland, and one of them lives in San Francisco, and we get together. Every Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. We get together for the weekend and eat lots of turkey, and I do the carving, and then we all listen to the Oregon Ducks play Oregon State the next day, and we have a great time, and then we come home. These are the, these are the delightful things. We, we forget about our intra-family uh, uh, differences that we sometimes have, and we have great times together. Bill Mansfield, it was a pleasure talking with you. Thanks very much for giving us some of your time. Yeah, thank you for interviewing me. It was, it was fun. It's Bill Mansfield, who's practiced law in Oregon for 70 years. 
Tomorrow on the show, a new study by researchers at Washington State University found that training to counter implicit bias in a group of police officers led to fewer complaints of discrimination by community members. We'll hear about that training and the results on the next Think Out Loud. If you don't want to miss any of our shows, you can listen on the NPR One app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to get your podcasts. Our nightly rebroadcast is at 8 p.m. Thanks very much for tuning in to Think Out Loud on OPB and KLCC. I'm Dave Miller. Have a great day. Think Out Loud is supported by Stephen Jan Oliva, the Rose E. Tucker Charitable Trust, Michael, Kristen, Andrew Kern, and Anna Sanford. <laughs>